It's a beautiful day and a fine time for healing. Podcast host Randy Fine, a narcissistic abuse expert and the author of the groundbreaking book Close Encounters of the Worst Kind and the captivating memoir Cliff Edge Road, invites you into her sanctuary, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. And now, here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing. And I am your show host, Randy Fine. I think you're going to relate really, really well to this show. Does your life seem to be one long, endless struggle? Your relationships unsatisfying? Ask yourself that. Are you angry, disillusioned, unwell, stuck, or just plain unhappy? And you'd rather be sailing along joyfully, enjoying life, a life of freedom, peace, and prosperity. Are you willing to fire your ghost driver, uh, the unconscious child hijacking your ride? A clever allusion to the ghost drivers that jump into your car in Disneyland's Haunted Mansion. The solution is simple, says today's special guest, licensed professional counselor, Patty Henry. Move from lifetime where every emotion, decision, and action is consciously or unconsciously driven by the hurt, um, rebellious, I'm not good enough child inside of us, to lifetime two, where every emotion, decision, and action is driven by the thoughtful, love-inspired, emotionally mature adult. That is the premise of Patty's clever, powerful, tough love, and imminently readable book, Two Lifetimes, From Fear to Love. In her book, she teaches you how to courageously face the fears that keep you stuck in lifetime one and to embrace a future in lifetime two where there is no depression, no addiction, no anxiety, no anger, and no fear where you are living from your authentic power. Patty Henry, Masters of Education, licensed professional counselor, has been in private practice since 1988 and working in women's programs at psychiatric hospitals before that. She has eschewed the traditional path of letting the clients determine the course of the therapy. Instead, finding her success in engaging them in in a directed path toward conscious awareness and self-responsibility. Wow, what could be better? What could be better? Okay, I know you're excited. Let's start. Good morning, Patty, and welcome. Good morning, Randy. Thank you for having me on your show, and thank you for the good work you are doing to be part of the healing of the world. Oh, yeah, and I'm grateful to you as well. There's... um, Unfortunately, there's too much of this to go around for, you know, for this. Yeah, there's so many people that are hurting. So and that's why this book is really important. Um, Patty, do you have a history that you want to share that may have brought you into the field that you're in? Um, I want to talk a little bit about the concept of two lifetimes. Um, The first is the one. Well, let me start again. I believe that 100% this is a truth, that we have to make up a story to make sense out of things in life that don't have definitive answers. Like, for example, why are we here? 
What are we supposed to be doing while we're here? What happens after we die? Is there a God? Is there not a God? All these questions don't have definitive answers. Some people will tell you, oh, I know the answer to those questions. But really, they're just telling you what they believe. I believe that everybody needs to know for themselves what they believe. So Two Lifetimes, my book, is my story about what I think we should be doing while we're here on the planet. I believe that we are all, we all come to the planet perfect and whole. You did, I did, everybody you meet does, uh, did um, come innocent and full of love and this wonderful energy. I mean, we keep having children because they're so wonderful. And so this perfect being gets thrown into lifetime one once they come to the planet. And they have parents who may or may not be awake. They have teachers who may or may not be. They have coaches. And they, meaning us, get wounded. Each one of us gets wounded in lifetime one. Some people get made fun of. Some people get um, abandoned. Some people get left out. Um, Some people are told you're ugly, you're fat, you know, they're criticized. And this little child gets wounded and gets filled up with fear that they didn't have when they came, but now they develop that fearful self. And that's lifetime one. I believe our work, each one of us, is to transition from lifetime one over to lifetime two. Lifetime two is where your authentic, empowered adult self, full of love and light, lives. All the good stuff's in lifetime two. So this is my story, that our work is to move from lifetime one to lifetime two. That's what we're supposed to be doing while we're here. And take whatever happened to us in lifetime one and transform it and use it come part of the healing force. So, for example, my dad was an alcoholic, a sociopath and an alcoholic. And because of that, I'm a better therapist. I have been able to use what happened to me in order to understand at a deeper level of empathy what other people have gone through. When my father died, my brother called me up and said, what should we write in the obituary that he was a mean son of a gun and hurt everybody that he met? And I said, no, I don't think we can write that in the newspaper. And he wrote this really amazing um, obituary. He said, for those of us who knew him well, we were forced to pull out a better self than we would have had we not known him. And that's what that transformation is, pulling out a better self. That is amazing. Where did that come from? That's amazing. Yeah. Well, anyway, that's what I think our work is. Uh, We move from being ruled by this fearful child 
into being ruled by our empowered adult. So one way to think of it is uh, we're moving from a life of fear to a life of love. Sometimes my clients will say to me, oh, I'm going to get rid of my fear. Yeah, right. And I say, yeah, right. That's the goal is to not have that fear control us. Now, it doesn't mean that you're never afraid. Um, That fear is also our friend. If something is dangerous, it tells us danger, danger. Um, And we need to listen to that. I tell the story in my book about one day coming out of the mall, going to my car, and somebody grabbed me. This big man grabbed my arm, and I immediately thought, run, 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 run. And um, that was my whole thought, was just run. And that's our reptilian brain talking, that we're, fear is a good thing right then. And I'm glad it took over, and I broke away, and I ran the quarter mile in the new world record or something, I ran fast and got away from that dangerous situation. But the reality is most of life is not like that. It's not a dangerous situation. And yet we react as if it is. Like if I start a business and it doesn't work out, I have a fear that, oh, it might, you know, I might be made fun of. I might be, you know, going back into our child. And so I can't push through that fear uh, if our child is still in charge. Hmm. That that is so true and good. I'm glad you got away from that guy. I'm glad you you were safe. (laughs) Does anybody skate through through childhood? Um, Some people get more wounding than others, and some people get less. Um, I had a client one time that, this is a true story, sad but true, his parents didn't believe in spanking. And so what they did instead with their children was burn them with cigarettes. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah, so I would put him in the category of more wounding. He had... um, you know, scars all up and down his arms and legs. And, um, I mean, nowadays the CPS would be called and, you know, they would be arrested. Um, But uh, he was an older gentleman and that's what happened to him. So to take that wounding and somehow use it in order to make the world a better place to me is the goal. I do want to talk a little bit about the universal wound, however. The universal wound, um, so there's lifetime one, and then the transition over to lifetime two is where you meet a dragon. And the dragon is the universal wound that we all have to um, overcome. And that universal wound is, I'm not good enough. We all get it. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not clever enough. I'm not enough somehow. And that is true. That is a lie. Like, 
when we work through work uh, from the state that I'm not good enough, our very foundation is not true. It's a lie because everybody, every single person on the planet is good enough to be an imperfect human being, just like the rest of us, trying to figure out life, trying to figure out how to get to happy, and to really start to come from, I am good enough. You're so right. Do you think it's because our nature is to measure ourselves up against others and compare? Is that why we feel that way? I think we get the wound in childhood. You know, if you are told one time at the right time as um, and in a big way, one thing, then the child takes that in because they're egocentric. And, for example, if you're told you talk too much, that child, you know, take that in and decide not to talk anymore, uh, just to be quiet. And as they get older, if they don't correct that, then they can get into a world where, as an adult, they don't talk. They don't say what they need out loud. They don't say no when the answer is no um, because they were told, shut up, nobody wants to hear you when they were little. So those are the um, what I call ghost drivers that come in and take over your car. They're driving your life. Um, and they're not even true. The truth is, you don't talk too much. You're a child, and it's okay to talk and talk and talk because you have a lot to say. <laughs> and how beautiful and wonderful each child is instead of getting shut down and told you're not okay. Right, so and I these think are the wounding happens early. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You know, I think of um, I think of a situation my daughter just went through where she, I mean, cause she had a really good childhood because I basically did everything opposite of what I, I was raised with and it worked really well. Mm-hmm. But lately she was, um, she was with an energy healer who told her that she had a, um, a wound of humiliation. And mm-hmm. she, my daughter's 36, and for her not to figure out anything in her life that humiliated her, nothing. Mm-hmm. She thought, she thought mm-hmm. finally she texted me or called me, Mom, I was just told this, but I can't find anything about humiliation. Mm-hmm. And then I reminded her of the time she was in first grade and her art mm-hmm. teacher, who was a nasty woman who used to tell the children that she kept monsters in the closet in school. This is an elementary school. Took my my daughter's paper. She had told the class what to do and took my daughter's paper and tore it up in front of the entire class and humiliated her. Wow. Exactly. Right. And, and so, you know, of course, we worked through that issue pretty quickly. And I went up there and gave her a piece of my mind, of course. Um, mm-hmm. But my daughter totally forgot about that. And when I told mm-hmm. her, she got, mm-hmm. she got this feeling that came across her body. So you're absolutely mm-hmm. right. Even if we're the best parents, 
they're going to be mm-hmm. around other people and things happen. Children say things to them. Teachers say things to them. Um, mm-hmm. Coaches. Know. Right. Coaches. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we can mis- misre- misinterpret those and carry them for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, and to believe them, even though they're not even true. Yes. Yeah. That we carry that, like for your daughter, that humiliation and shame. And she didn't do anything wrong. Right. Exactly. And And it was so far. And we carry that. So I believe our job is to heal that and transform into our more empowered adult self. I mean, there are lots of ways of saying it, but one way is I believe our mission on the planet is to grow up, to become responsible adults, to leave reactionary behind, that's our child, and get into the ability to respond to whatever God, the universe hands you, um, to be able to slow it down, think it through, brainstorm, what are some things I can do, just what are the options, pick one, and take responsibility for picking that one, and um, if, you know, you're doing it and it's not working out, then it's your responsibility to go back, brainstorm, pick another direction, and do that one. I remember I learned this in uh, Adult Children of Alcoholics meeting where the speaker was saying, you are responsible for your life, all of it. Uh, If you're happy or not happy, what you're doing, what you're thinking, what you're feeling, you are responsible for that. And I remember sitting there, I was in my early 20s, and I remember thinking, you're kidding I'm responsible. I don't know how to do that. And I don't know who I thought was going to do all that for me, take responsibility for my happiness, whether it was going to be a relationship or a job or what. But I didn't think that I was going to be in charge of that, in charge of my life. And that's what we have to get, that each one of us is in charge of your life. Each one of us has uh, the responsibility to what we're doing, thinking, saying, not doing, not saying. All of that um, is on us. And, you know, I remember thinking I hadn't planned on working that hard. (laughs) I thought somebody else was going to take care of all that. Nope. (laughs) You're in charge of taking care of your own Life. If there's something you want, you have to take responsibility to make that happen. Gandhi taught us always turn the searchlight inward. First and foremost, look inside. What's my part? What am I doing to create this in my life? Why am I creating it? We turn the searchlight in and start figuring that stuff out. And I love that because we've become a society where blaming is so commonplace. Um, oh, yeah. Always, mm-hmm. it's, it's, all, right? it's always somebody else's problem. It's always somebody else's fault that you're suffering. 
Now, right. so claiming your happiness, being in charge of your life, sounds like an easy thing, but it's not because that means that if you want to take responsibility for your life, you've got to go back in and work through the things that are holding you back, right? Right. You have to become aware of them. And um, what you're talking about, that blaming, I have a whole chapter in my book called um, Turning in Your Victim Card. (laughs) That you have to be willing to turn in your victim card to not say, I can't do it because I'm not allowed. I can't do it because my partner will get upset. I can't do it because my boss will get upset. I can't, you know, I can't come home before... 10 o'clock at night because my boss will get upset. It's like, whoa, your children and partner are languishing. Well, there's nothing I can do. That's the victim card. The adult self shows up and says, okay, I don't want to come home at 10 or 11 o'clock at night. I want to eat dinner with my kids. I want to eat dinner every night with my family. I want to have the experience of family. What do I have to do to make that happen? And it might be I have to change jobs. I have to leave where I am in order to, you know, make that happen in my life. And that takes courage. It does take courage. You know, and and what I'm thinking is, um, you know, I'm thinking back to the clients that I've worked with. And often Mm -hmm. that situation that you described about you know, just being really used and abused by your boss um, is because mm-hmm. of um, low self-esteem, lack of boundaries, the need to please, mm-hmm. codependency, so forth and so on. And mm-hmm. if they go, if they leave that job and go to another job, they're likely to repeat that behavior because it is unconsciously driven. Yes. Right. Exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we have to become aware of the baggage that we carry around. Uh, in my book, Two Lifetimes, I say, I want you to write down everything that you remember in your childhood of where somebody hurt you, like pages, just said one little sentence to you or uh, beat you with a belt or, you know, write it down who hurt you, and who said it, who did it, and uh, write that person's name as well. And then I have a forgiveness exercise of um, starting at the beginning of your list and the first person you visualize coming towards you and admitting to you that I did do that to you and apologizing to you which often will bring up tears for people. And then you get to decide whether you forgive them or if you um, have to have them come back. You can tell them, I'm not ready. You'll have to come back. And uh, you go on to the next person on your list. You know, until you get to the point where you can clean out of a lot of that baggage that you're carrying with you. But definitely, if somebody has done something egregious, like murdered your mother in front of you, and you know, uh, you know, a drunk driver killed your four-year-old, or you know, 
the um, forgiveness is there for a long time. That's so true. So let's talk about, um, so you, you say that, I'm just pulling up all this information. Okay. Okay. So some of the signs that you're in, you're at point A, or what you call lifetime mm-hmm. one, are, um, mm-hmm. can you name some of the things? You are, you're asleep, you're unaware. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's usually a lot of emotional pain going on. You're a net victim, um, you're reactionary, and to wake up, you have to decide, okay, I'm going to face things that are scary and do them. And um, if it means having a conversation with someone, then that's what you do. If you, um, yeah. I have a whole bunch of things that uh, you can do to get out of that first lifetime and into the better stuff. Right. You say say winning winning at all costs, um, you know, perfection, no mistakes allowed. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. That's all lifetime one stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, to really get that I don't believe that anymore. I don't want to live at that place anymore. Um, yeah, it's ruled by fear, emotionally young, uh, reactionary, defensive, blaming, victim, child, all of that's lifetime one. And you also say in this, in this list, you say you are safe, but at the price of living half a life. I love that. That's so mm-hmm. powerful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, and so when you're reacting, you know, that's your child talking. When you're scared, you know, that's your child talking and you have to take care of him or her. And, um, yeah, the lifetime two is being awake when run by our adult self. We have higher energy vibrations. Love is the predominant feeling. I call it the spirit of love, that you feel that wherever you go, whoever you're with. You feel that. I I see um, signs around people's necks, and the signs usually say, I am starving for love. Because I think our world is starving for love. So if your adult self can show up and be kind and say something encouraging, just put in a drop of love, it counts. It counts in the universe. It counts in that person's life, and it counts on a bigger level. I think we are um, living on two levels. The first level is all the earthly stuff. You know, we have to pay our electric bill. We have to eat. We have to do all that. And the other level is at a bigger spiritual level where we're all interconnected. That's what Einstein taught us scientifically, that we are all interconnected in this energy field together. So, yeah, go ahead. No, I'm listening. I'm listening. Keep going. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, just getting uh, at peace with all that is is the goal. Um, I am, uh, you know, I'm also the author of the book The Emotionally Unavailable Man, a blueprint for healing, because um, I think that what we have done to little boys over centuries has shut down their emotional development, you know, by saying big boys don't cry and suck it up and uh, be a man. And um, I have worked with men that are so wounded because their dad died when they were six and they were told, you are not allowed to cry. You know, don't embarrass yourself. Don't embarrass our family. And uh, a six-year-old just lost his dad. Of course you need to cry and be comforted and um, held and and grieved with. And so, um, yeah, that's the wounding that has happened to a lot of men. And uh, we treat little girls differently. You know, if a girl is upset and says, Daddy, I'm afraid of the dark, he gets up uh goes into a room with her and looks for monsters under the bed and in the um, closet and says, nope, nobody, nothing here. I'm going to protect you. Here's a teddy bear. I'm going to be right outside your door so uh, you are safe. And we don't do that to little boys. We say, get back upstairs. Don't be a baby. You know, we treat little boys and little girls differently. It's changing, thank goodness. But um, I feel like we have to have room for um, males also to feel their feelings and be supported in that process of really looking at things that happen to them. That's so true. That's so true. For unaware parents that do that, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of male clients as well, you know, that have all been wounded mm-hmm. in childhood. A lot of male clients. Right. And they they really hurt. They really hurt. Yes. Um, so let's talk about resistance. What are the different kinds of ways that we can resist things in our life? Well, avoidance. Um you know, just not taking responsibility, just saying um, it's not my fault, it's their fault. You know, that victim card, definitely a resistance to taking charge of your life. Uh, sometimes I'll have a client call me and say, oh, my gosh, I understand what you're talking about, that I finally have experienced that feeling of being in charge of my life. Like I can make it however I want it to be. And a resistance is going into the black hole and saying, you know, there's nothing I can do. It's like, well, actually, if you're in charge of your life, which you are, there's a lot you can do. And be willing to feel the fear, but go toward it anyways. Um, I say that, you know, Uh, Most research shows that if we're willing to feel fear for 120 seconds, two minutes, then um, we'll be able to get through it. Like if there's a hard phone call you have to make and you're afraid to do it, 
if you let yourself feel that fear for two minutes and you make the phone call, chances are it'll be over in two minutes. Either you've talked to the person or the answering machine or voicemail or something, but it, you did it. You made the call. It was hard. Adults do hard things, and it's behind you. So you also get the victory. So true. Um, and I like that. I like that. Sitting with the feelings, sitting with the fear, you know, just mm-hmm. often, you know, um, and I have this experience again with my clients that they'll be so afraid to do something. And then mm-hmm. we talk about it. We talk about it and they're like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to leave now. Or I'm going to hang up now because I'm ready. I've got it. I want to do this now and get this over with. I'm like, you know, I say, you know, it, yeah. don't carry it around with you. Muster exactly. it up and get it over with. And then you don't have that to worry about. You say the most common mm-hmm. type of resistance um, is the obliv- remaining oblivious, denying there's a problem. Oh, yeah. Magical, magical thinking. Magical thinking. Right. Can you elaborate that on happens that? happens a lot. Yeah, it happens a lot in relationships. You know, um, I had a couple come in one time. They'd been married 30 years. They were high school sweethearts. They were junior high sweethearts and high school sweethearts and college sweethearts. They got married. They were married for 30 years. And I had one session with them. And at the end of the session, the husband said, how could I not known this about you? And the wife said, I don't know. I've told you every day for 29 years. And he said, well, today was the first day I heard it. And he believed her, what she was saying. This was a problem for her. And it was beautiful. They didn't have to come back. They had, you know, unclogged their stuck in their relationship. But, yeah, in relationships, a lot of times we're not hearing each other. And so then you might react. And it's... It's not even about you. It's about whatever that person is trying to bring to you to hope that you will hear them and um, respond to their pain and help them. So that's what I try to teach couples how to do, how to work with healing each other instead of continuing the wounding that the person already carries. That is so important. What an important skill. Relationships are difficult, and there are, we do need tools. They don't necessarily um, come naturally in a healthy way. A healthy relationship does not necessarily come naturally. It's a lot of trial and error and working together and compromise and all those things, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we get what we get growing up watching our parents. So if they're bickering constantly or they're uh, yelling, raging, um, hitting each other, then that's what we think is normal. And the reality is you get to create the relationship that you want. And um, beginning with being able to hear your partner and respond to it without anger and reactionary and hurt because anger is a secondary emotion. The primary emotion is hurt. 
and it gets covered up by anger. And we present the anger. But what's really going on is you hurt my feelings. Or, um, you know, I'm getting wounded in the same way I was wounded as a child. I was ignored. So when I say something and you don't respond, that makes me angry because my hurt is triggered. So then we put on this armor of anger to protect ourselves. Or we think we're protecting ourselves, really, it's making the situation worse. But, right. Well, uh um, you said you do a lot of work with trauma. I do. um, In my book, I give some of the is's of life, which is a Buddhist concept that there are some things that just are the way they are. You can uh, argue them, but, you know, human beings need oxygen to live. You can argue that all you want, but it's still true that human beings need oxygen to live. And so, um, yeah, getting so to accept what is real, being very present in the now, and um, that's part of how to work through that trauma. What oh, if we have I know a, what, what I was we... going to say about that. Okay, I, I just said it, part of the is of life is that everybody, everybody on the planet has experienced trauma or will experience trauma in their life. I think it has a purpose to really teach us. And so... Um, we all have to go through it. People say to me, why, do, why is this happening to me? It's like, well, why not? Because the reality is you're a human being and you're having this human experience. And part of the human experience is things are hard. And part of this human experience is that sometimes they're really hard and they're traumatizing. Um, so... What happens if you have a, a partner who is aware but is struggling with hearing us? So say, say you have one person that is mm-hmm. one part of the couple that, is, that never got heard <clears throat> in life <clears throat> and needs mm-hmm. it desperately, like desperately, like, like air, you know. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> then, yeah. you have another, then you have another partner who knows that but struggles with being able to give validation do Mm -hmm. does the person who um we cannot rely on our partner to give us what we need so right right i mean we can't rely on them but we certainly um want it and um i try to help people learn how to give it without de-selfing without saying yes to something that isn't really yes, but learning how to hold on to myself. And I have to know myself. I have to know the baggage that I carry. I have to know that I'm projecting that out onto my partner. Um, You know, somebody who hasn't been heard as a child, a lot of times marries somebody who's a workaholic, who's gone all the time. And they don't get that attention that they want and crave and need. 
So isn't isn't it up to so if one okay so so say one part of the one side of the couple um, mm-hmm. has this issue, isn't it part of their responsibility to work on self validation and not needing that as much? Well, um, yes, the short answer, <laughs> uh, and that it's also reasonable to expect to get some of your needs met in the relationship or else why do it? Um, So learning, I teach people to hear differently as a couple, to be able to reflect back what they're hearing the other person say and then um, go deeper and to find out if there's a childhood wound connected to it. Because we seem to be able to respond more to children than to adults. So once you understand that, oh, this is um, a pattern in her life or his life, um, then you can help instead of getting in the way. But yeah, to learn how to hear each other and this in my book, you know, to really be present um, by being able to repeat back what I heard you say. I heard you say this. Is that what you're saying? And um, it's amazing to me when people get things reflected back to them. A lot of times people will say, I didn't say that. Now, as a therapist, I write down everything they're saying. So I read my notes and I say, actually, you did. Those are your words. But when it gets reflected back, sometimes it doesn't sound right because that's not what we mean. And so I said, you know, we're going for meaning. So it doesn't matter if you said it or you heard it wrong or whatever. What is it you want to say? And then they self-correct and say what they really want to say. And um, then it's important for the partner to just reflect it back like a mirror that says, Mm. okay, this is what I'm hearing you say. And... um, it's an invaluable tool. Mm-hmm. So it's really, it really has to be, it has to be awareness on both sides. Both people have to yeah. take responsibility for their awareness of the needs of the other person. Right. Um, I have found that um, I say there's a whole chapter in the book about um, having two lifetimes in a marriage because we are a child in the beginning trying to kick and scream and say, I need you to do this and I want you to do this. And and then the second lifetime marriage is two adults show up. And um, one of my clients this week said she went on a, a driving trip with her partner um, from New York to Ohio. And she said it was wonderful because we adulted the whole time. (laughs) And I I decided that it needs to be a verb to adult. Uh, She goes, no, both of our adult selves showed up and we were just able to talk. And when we had a little bump, we talked about it instead of uh, reacting to it from our wounds. And so learning how to do that is so important. 
Um, but anyway, I was going to use an example I it use is a marathon. If you're running a marathon, it's, um, you know, 26 miles, and um, we hit a wall. And marathon runners will tell you, you know, you hit the wall and every bone in your body, every muscle every, says, don't run anymore. Stop running. Don't, don't, just stop. And every marathon runner who actually finishes the marathon has learned how to push through that when it shows up and says, no, come on, you can do it. Left foot, right foot, keep going and encourages. And um, in America, especially, uh, I've lived in 10 countries, but America is the one I know the most. Uh, People hit the wall in their marriage and they quit as opposed to working through it. People that have been married for 50 years have worked through the wall instead of walking away when they hit it. You're right. It's the commitment to each other that keeps it going. Mm-hmm. A mutual mutual commitment. So what well, happens if... Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Go ahead. What happens if um, in a relationship, if one partner is awake is an awake adult and the other Mm -hmm. is a sleeping child and the sleeping child just says, this is the way I am. This is just the way I am. What do you do with that? uh, Well, it's very common for one person to be more, um, I don't know, farther down the line as far as being awake than the other one. And I believe they're always has to be a hero in the family. To be somebody who, and the person that's more awake, it's their responsibility to be kind, be loving, um, you know, help as much as they can, but um, not your responsibility to fix it, but just your responsibility to practice love. And marriage is a great place to practice love. A lot of times people will come in and I'll say the love hasn't begun yet. I mean, mm-hmm. we have the in love, the beginning part of a relationship where I call that going under general anesthesia because <laughs> um, your chemicals change, you know, endorphins go up, adrenaline goes up, serotonin, which keeps us balanced, goes down, and we're in love just floating along in a chemical state. And that doesn't last. And so our bodies can't maintain that high chemical level. And so we come down and start to power struggle. And um, that's the work. I mean, I think that when people start to power struggle a lot nowadays, they just go, okay, I married the wrong person and they you know, get out and it's like, nope, the next person's gonna be just the same. And so the work is inside of you. I had one couple that I said, Is this your first marriage? And they looked at each other and smiled and said, No. I said, Is this your second marriage? And they said, No. I said, Why don't you just tell me? <laughs> 
how many times have you been married? And they looked at each other and they said, I don't know. I said, what? You don't know how many times you've been married? And they both had been married six times, but with five partners. They married one person twice. And so, um, you know, there's a, a lot of leftover wounding from all of that. So how do we get to actually produce the love, the spirit of love in this marriage? And, yeah, there's going to be one person that gets it sooner than the other one most of the time. And um, it's still your responsibility to work at getting better at loving and being kind and seeing who your partner is and their woundedness and, um, yeah, just being there, I guess. Right, and being patient, and being patient and um, understanding, right, Um, you know, but I think that that we have to see that our partner is willing to Mm -hmm. even take baby steps, just something, we want to see that they're willing to do something, because if they're just, if they're dug in and don't want to do anything, then really there's no place to go with that, right? Well, sometimes if you pour in some more love that it'll open a door Uh, and sometimes not, you know, sometimes I'll start with a couple and I'll say, you know, what is it that you want? And one of them will say, you know, I want a open loving relationship. And the other one will say, I filed for a divorce yesterday. I've already decided I'm done. And I think, okay, (laughs) well, you're going to waste your time and money being here if um, we can't change that so that you can really decide I am going to love this person. I think right. people that are married 50 years have been the ones that haven't, haven't left, you know, when they hit the wall. Mm-hmm. They say, okay, let's do the work. Now, um, my book, Two Lifetimes, is... I had one person that bought 50 copies. And I said, oh, my gosh, what are you going to do with 50 copies? And she said, I'm going to give them to every person, every wedding I ever go to. um, Because if I had had this information earlier, I could have avoided a lot of pain and suffering in my Mm -hmm. own marriage and parenting and everything. And she said, I just wish I had known so my book is kind of a, a guide book, a blueprint of how to get to the good stuff. Okay. Well, that that's such a wonderful that's such wonderful um, validation and support. My gosh, that's amazing. Um, so I wanted to ask you. You talk about zero days in um, in your book. Mm-hmm. This is really kind of the last mm-hmm. thing we have time to talk about. So. What exactly do you mean when you say zero days? Um, A zero day is a day when you have um, a goal, you have something that you want to get done, and you don't do anything on it for the whole day. And so to really make take responsibility and make your goals happen, 
you have to put energy into them every day so it's not a zero day. But, um, you know, when I wrote my first book, I made myself sit down every single day uh, for one hour. And in that hour, sometimes I would write one sentence. But that counts as a no zero day. And the next day I might write, you know, for three hours without stopping. Um, And so we want to get rid of those zero days if we're moving toward, I want to open a business. I want to, you know, whatever. Whatever those things are that you want for your life, moving and every day doing a little bit in that direction. Mm, Okay, that makes very good sense. So we have a little bit more time. Okay, let's talk about, um, as you do in the book, the is's of life um, mm-hmm. and that when you say when we personally come to peace with them we we will be able to outgrow much of our fear so what are some of the is's of life that we should absorb and, and bring into our awareness uh, that life is hard that um, we carry baggage that um, we are capable um, let me think what else I'm saying as you far as su- um, surprise is a part of it. Loss is a part of it. Surprise. Mm-hmm. Is a yes. part of it. Love, love uh, is a part of it. Challenge is a part loss. of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and trauma is a part of it. Mm-hmm. So definitely um, coming to terms with trauma and coming to terms with uh, it's my turn. You know, people say, why me? And it's like, well, it's your turn. <laughs> so I'm sorry. I wish that it wasn't. But um, trauma is sometimes the biggest place where we make the biggest uh, leap in our awareness and our self, self-love, learning how to take care of self. So loss is a part, hard is a part, challenging Surprises are a part. Um, so coming to terms with that's okay. Although the way that life is, is okay. Because there's nothing we can do to control it. It's the serenity prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. And the courage to change the things I can. And the wisdom to know the difference. Yes. The uses in life we can't change. That um, you know, surprises happen. Sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're bad. And um, that's normal. Yes. So true. So true. I really like that. So. Um, in the last um, five minutes, is there anything that you really wanted to share? I know. So I just wanted to um, reiterate that we're talking about your book, Lifetime, Two Lifetimes from Two Fear lifetimes. to Love. Two Lifetimes from Fear mm-hmm. to Love. Um, so is there anything you wanted to share with us at the end that I didn't maybe bring up? Because there's so much in this book. Yes, there's about 10 uh, therapy sessions in the book. It's definitely <laughs> um, worth getting. And um, you can get it on Amazon. That's probably the fastest, easiest way um, that 
because Amazon has changed their policy. If you don't buy a book on Amazon, then you can't review it. So um, I, you know, don't like that because I sell books at conferences and stuff like that, and people can't review it on Amazon. But um, so buy it on Amazon, and um, I have a website which is Patty P A T T I, and then there's a hyphen, and then Henry H E N R Y. Dot com. So it's patty-henry.com. You can go there, write to me from there. Uh, my phone number's on there. Uh, if you have any questions or want to work together, just uh, let me know, and we'll make that happen. The other thing I guess I want to leave your listeners with is you are magnificent. Each one of you is magnificent, divinely made here on the planet and having an amazing adventure that we call life. So if you can get how amazing you are, it helps. That is so powerful, and I completely agree with you. You know, there's a... It is said that only the bravest souls come to Earth School, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and yes. you do need you do need courage to come here as a soul because this is a place where we work out some difficult things. We have wonderful things that happen, but mm-hmm. we also are here to learn and grow, change, alter, mm-hmm. um, and we do some pretty hard work down here. So we are anyone that's here is here because they are a courageous soul and they can do it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I believe that. Yes, that that's another takeaway is you are capable. You can do this. And um, it's not for the few. It's for anybody that decides, I want to get to my empowered adult love-filled self. You can. Yes, so true. Well, let's leave it at that because that's a great way to end it. Um, but, Patty, okay. um, th- thank you so much for uh, for your book, which is phenomenal, and um, for you know agreeing to be my guest today so that we can talk about this because what you have shared with us today is so valuable to everyone. Everyone needs to hear this, right? Right. It's a book that's written for everyone. Uh, And one chapter I have, uh, I think it's chapter two, Mama Forgot to Tell Me. I mean, that a lot of lessons that we need, we didn't get. And so they're in this book. Okay, perfect. Perfect. Okay. Well, thank you so much and have a wonderful day. Um, You're in Houston, right? Thank you. You said you were? You yeah. You're in Houston. Yeah. yeah, I'm in okay. Houston, right. Have a good so Houston thank day. You. <laughs> You're welcome. And thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Have a great day. Bye-bye. So we are out of time today, but if you have any comments or questions, you can email me at loveyourlife at randyfine.com. May joy and serenity always be yours. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Visit randyfine.com, R-A-N-D-I-F-I-N-E.com, and be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts, events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening.